Merriam-Webster defines stress this way. Constraining force or influence, such as a force exerted when one body or body part presses on, pulls on, pushes against, or tends to compress or twist another body or body part, such as the deformation caused in a body by such a force, such as a physical, chemical, or emotional factor that causes bodily or mental tension and may be a factor in disease causation, such as a state resulting from a stress, such as strain, pressure. See if I can paint a picture of stress for you. Imagine a rainy night. Some of you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Family heads to a school concert for one of the kids, and dad drops everyone off close to the door as possible so that they can get out of the rain quickly. Dad parks the car and decides to jog into the school to get out of the rain a little faster than walking. Never mind the fact that there's this really cool new invention called an umbrella that would help with that factor. This guy doesn't need one of those. The man begins to jog into the building, and all of a sudden, as he begins to slip on the wet pavement, his foot comes in contact with something which immediately stops all forward motion of said foot. The rest of his body continues in motion, and suddenly there is a jolt and a snap, or several. In that moment, the man realizes his foot is now facing the wrong direction. Throws himself on the ground in an effort to avoid more damage to that foot. So what happened? Well, in a normal functioning foot, the toe bone's connected to the foot bone. <laughs> foot bone's connected to, you understand this, you, you know this spiritual, right? Foot bone's connected to the heel bone, heel bone's connected to the ankle bone, ankle bone's connected to the leg bone, leg bone's connected to the knee bone. For you more technically minded people, the tibia, the tibia and fibula come down to the leg to connect to the talus and then the rest of the foot. In our story, this man with his foot now turned the wrong way. The stress that was placed on the ankle connection snapped the bones. The tibia and fibula broke and dislocated forward and crushed part of the talus bone. The reason they broke was that the foot, with the foot stopped in its place, there was no give. With no give and no flexing, the pressure being applied by the rest of the body in motion overcame whatever strength was present in the bones of the ankle and snapped them apart. And I wonder if this bone-breaking story could be a picture of our spiritual lives at times. See, if I were to ask you about stress in your life, I bet I would hear things like a poor boss who has unreasonable demands Difficult financial realities, an injury or a sickness, loving difficult family members at Christmas gatherings, and many, many other ways that you are pressed and pulled and pushed. The question then would be, how are you handling it? How are you handling that stress? Some problems that stress can cause have been very clear to me lately. You see, if I don't handle stress properly, it can rob me of joy. If I don't wrestle with stress truthfully, it can lead me to do things that are harmful to myself and to others around me. If I don't fight stress wisely, then it can make me ineffective. It can make me not useful. The last time that we were together, we began our study of Joseph, the man that God chose to be the foster father of the Messiah while he grew up here on earth. Many people in our culture find Christmas time extremely stressful. 
And I certainly don't want to make light of any struggles for anyone listening today, but, but it seems to me that the stress surrounding Joseph's life as the first Christmas was approaching and the time following the birth of Jesus, I wonder if that story might help us put things in perspective a little bit about how we deal with our stress. Especially for the way in which Joseph decided to handle the pressure. You see, simply, Joseph trusted and obeyed God in the midst of stress. That's what he did. He trusted and obeyed God in what he was called to do no matter the pressure that was mounting upon him. Pastor Wayne made this comment in his notes. He says, Joseph proves to be one of the most obedient people in recorded history. Faced with a significant succession of stressful situations each and every time, Jesus' foster father trusts God's word and obeys fully. And obeys fully. We're going to take a few moments and we're going to look at what Joseph did to trust and obey God fully in the little bit of information that we have surrounding Jesus' birth. The first is that Joseph obeyed God's name decree. Joseph obeyed God's name decree. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, it says this, is, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you, will, you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. He named him Jesus. We saw before that Joseph trusted and obeyed when he followed the Lord's command to actually take Mary as his wife, to marry Mary. Now he once again works through the stressful situation by submitting to the Lord's decree and name the baby Jesus. And as we saw last time, God says to name the baby, baby Yeshua, which is a fun wordplay in Hebrew. We saw this last time. It says, you shall call his name Yeshua, for it is he that shall Yoshia save his people from their sins. Pastor Wayne says this is names in scripture are des designed to capture the person's essential self, their life, purpose, and ethic. To name a baby Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus is a massive statement. It is to say that this is the Messiah. This is the one who will save those who trust in Yahweh. Joseph could have been ashamed of this child, given all the fuss and stress. Instead, he, pro he proudly proclaimed salvation in his name. You see, Joseph trusted and obeyed the word of the Lord and named the baby Jesus. In the midst of this stressful situation, his trust and obedience exemplified what it means not to be ashamed 
of the good news. Joseph exemplified what it means not to be ashamed of the good news. Romans 1.16 says, says, says this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. When the pressures of life are bearing down on you from every side, when you are physically, when you're emotionally, when you're mentally, when you're spiritually broken down, is the first thought in your mind and heart to praise the Lord in faithful trust and obedience? Is your first response to proclaim the truth of his name, that he, Jesus, is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life? Joseph trusted and he obeyed and named the baby Jesus just as God commanded, God decreed, and he proclaimed the arrival of Messiah. And at the same time, Joseph obeyed God's covenants. Joseph obeyed God's covenants. If you turn over to Luke, Luke chapter 2, we have the circumcision and presentation of Jesus. Beginning in verse 21, verse 21 says this, says, when the eight days were completed for a circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum explains the import of circumcision in relation to God's covenants. He says this, he says, circumcision was commanded under two of the five Jewish covenants, the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. However, in each case, the meaning was a bit different. Under the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision was a sign of the covenant and a sign of Jewishness. Under the Mosaic covenant, circumcision was the means of submitting to the law. Under the Abrahamic covenant, it was mandatory for Jews only and those who were permanent residents within a Jewish household. Under the Mosaic covenant, it was mandatory for both Jews and those Gentiles who wished to become part of the commonwealth of Israel because it was the means of submitting to the laws. Paul warned the Gentile Galatians that if they submitted to circumcision, it would obligate them to keep the whole law, not just that one commandment of the law. Here's another comment from Pastor Wayne's notes. Circumcision wasn't merely part of the Mosaic Covenant. It is older, a part of the eternal, unconditional Abrahamic covenant. Moses' law covenant was temporary and conditional. By contrast, the Abrahamic covenant is ongoing. And Joseph's engagement with that covenant is seen in a surprising scene at the temple. Here's the scene. Luke 2, 22. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. See, Joseph and Mary follow the Mosaic law requiring to bring their firstborn to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. And while they are in the temple in obedience, they witnessed an amazing scene and received a blessing. The story continues in verse 25 of Luke 2. says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, 
you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation, for you have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, for a, a, a peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Verse 33, Luke 2 says, His father and mother, this is Joseph and Mary, were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Did you catch how crazy this scene is? So when Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple in trust and in obedience, this guy, Simeon, who isn't mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, wanders into the temple also. But he isn't there by accident. He is a man who trusts the Lord and obeys the Lord. He walks into the temple guided by the Holy Spirit. And as soon as he saw Jesus, he scooped him up. He looked salvation in the eyes. And he made this remarkable claim that this child would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Isn't that beautiful? Joseph and Mary thought so. Look again, verse 33 says, His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. You ever been amazed by someone praising your kids or pray, praying profoundly over them in truth? A couple months ago, we were leaving a high school football game for our boys' school, and our oldest was, he was finishing up his drum major duties, and the rest of us were walking down the stands, heading to the car to go home. As we headed down the stands out, one of the teachers who has taught both of my boys stopped and shook our second son Gavin's hand and talked to him for a second, said hi. And then as I followed, this teacher looked at me and shook my hand and said, Mr. McKeska, you have really great boys. Now, I know how amazing my kids are. I know how amazing they're not also. But I do. I know how amazing. I know how they're trying to grow up. I know how they're trying to follow the Lord and figure things out about what it means to be a servant of Christ. But when someone else proclaims their greatness, there is much joy and amazement. Partly because I'm like, okay, maybe I'm doing something right. And I'd say it actually is more amazing and encouraging when I'm not seeking that praise. Instead, if I'm simply walking in trust and obedience, in doing the hard work of parenting, and it is hard work. But if I'm simply doing the work, trusting the Lord above all, because I can't control every situation, obeying what he has told me to do to engage and figure out how to teach these children to follow him, it is really amazing to hear somebody say, they're really great. It's really encouraging to continue on in the work that, has been called, that I've been called to do when somebody else is encouraging and talking greatness about those in my care. It spurs me on to be a faithful father. See, Joseph and Mary knew who Jesus was. 
It had been proclaimed to them who he was. Joseph named him Jesus by God's decree because he knew he was the Messiah. But nowhere in Scripture gives every detail, it gives them a, or us indication that they had every detail known to them how to raise this child. Nowhere does it exactly tell them how to handle every aspect of the perfect one. Jesus was both God and man, and his earthly parents had to follow the Father's leading in order to care for him. They had to trust and obey so that they could do the work before them. And because they simply trusted and obeyed God's covenants, things that they had known long before Jesus was proclaimed to them specifically about their role, when they obeyed those covenants, they were encouraged and blessed while attending their duty in the temple. There was always blessing and obedience. Always blessing and obedience. And Jesus' faithful earthly father was blessed in his obedience of circumcising the child as he was commanded, and holding fast to the Abrahamic covenant of living righteously by faith. See, those who believe in Jesus are made righteous by faith. Made righteous by faith as part of that continuing Abrahamic covenant that is now revealed in the work of Jesus the Messiah. How are you doing living according to that covenant? Are you doing what is right before the Lord as Joseph did? The simple things that you know you're supposed to do, how well are you doing them? The faithful stepfather of Jesus obeyed in naming the Messiah as God's decreed. He obeyed God's covenants, and then he obeyed the God, God's call to move his family. He obeyed God's call to move his family. If you flip back to Matthew chapter 2, the angel tells Joseph to flee with his family to Egypt. We find in verse 13, it says, after they were gone, this is the, the wise men. After the wise men left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up. Take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother and during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and she refused to be consoled because they were no more. The new king's life was in danger, and Joseph, by word of an angel from, from the Lord, was told to do, he was told what to do to care for him and his mother. Get up and go. Get up and go. Now, beyond the pressing, life-threatening danger from Herod, there are at least a couple of other potential stressful realities for this young family. One would be the lack of money for travel, and the other would be the physical aspect of traveling a good distance with a child immediately. 
So we know that the young family didn't have a lot of money based on the offering that they gave at the temple. Luke 2, 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. If you cross-reference Leviticus 12, 8, it describes the option for this offering for this child if they couldn't offer a lamb. Mary and Joseph could not afford a lamb. Professor Fuchtenbaum, again, offers these thoughts about the situation of leaving for Egypt. He says, after the wise men left Bethlehem, the angel again appeared to Joseph in a dream. Since they were a poverty-stricken family, where did they get the money to make such a journey? The wise men gave them three types of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were expensive gifts, which provided what they needed to pay for the journey to Egypt and the sojourn in the land. But why Egypt? Egypt had become a Roman province in 30 B.C., thus the land was beyond the jurisdiction of Herod. According to some estimations, there were about one million Jews living in Egypt at the time of Yeshua's birth, some of whom might well have been relatives or friends of Miriam and Joseph. Furthermore, it would have taken the family only three days to cover the 60 miles to reach the border. Only three days to cover the 60 miles to reach the border. And you thought a road trip with a child in an air-conditioned car going 60 miles an hour was difficult. See, Joseph trusted the Lord for provision and obeyed the angel to get up and go as he was told in order to care for the Messiah. He got up and he went during the night. The angel appears to Joseph again. Matthew 2, 19. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared, to, appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. There's a comment from Dr. Tom Constable. It says, God's sovereign initiative is again the subject of Matthew's record. This is the fourth dream and the third mention of the angel of the Lord appearing to Joseph in the prologue. The phrase, the land of Israel, occurs only here in the New Testament. Evidently, Matthew used it since it recalls the promises and blessings God gave Jacob and his descendants. So again, the faithful father, Joseph, trusts the word from the Lord and obeyed his directives, and he got up, and he went. He got up and did as he was told. Once again, Joseph is redirected. Verse 22, Matthew 2, said, But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warmed in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. William Barclay comments about the situation going on at this time. He says, When Herod died, the whole kingdom over which he had ruled was split up. The Romans had trusted Herod, and they had allowed him to reign over a very considerable territory. But Herod well knew that none of his sons would be allowed a like power. So he had divided his kingdom into three. And in his will, he had left a part of each to his three sons. He, left, he had left Judea to Archelaus. He had left Galilee to Herod Antipas. And he had left the region away to the northeast and beyond Jordan to Philip. But the death of Herod did not solve the problem. Archelaus was a bad king, and he was not to last long on the throne. In point of fact, he had begun his reign with an attempt to out-Herod Herod, for he had opened his rule with the deliberate slaughter of 3,000 of the most influential people in the country. 
Clearly, even now that Herod was dead, it was still unsafe to return to Judea with the savage and reckless Archelaus on the throne. So once again, Joseph simply trusted and obeyed what the Lord had told him to do and went to Nazareth. No matter the pressure surrounding him, no matter the stress that he could have used as an excuse to stay put and do nothing, to try to hunker down and protect with his own power, Joseph got up and went where he was supposed to go. A few weeks ago, as I was starting to get back into the office after my injury and surgery, I took a look at Wayne's notes to see the passage that I would be teaching this week. And then I asked Wayne if he remembered what he had entitled this particular lesson that I was to preach. Sitting in a wheelchair, I reminded him that he entitled it, Get Up. We had a good laugh at the irony, and then we decided not to change the title. See, stress is a normal part of life, isn't it? Stress is a normal part of life. There are pressures and demands that push, that pull and twist us, which can render us ineffective if it's not relieved. It can keep us down, can keep us from getting up. Something has to give. Something has to give. Oh, I can attest that something will break. So the question before us is how exactly do we relieve stress? How exactly do we relieve stress? What are you stressed about? And what are you doing to relieve those things? See, we tend to look for a lot of ways to relieve our stress. In my house, I have shampoo and lotion that says stress relief. <laughs> Can a soap or lotion actually take, a pain, take away the pains of life? Can it actually do that? It could perhaps help temporarily. I mean, it smells really good. It makes me feel good. But no stress-relieving lotion could have stopped my ankle from breaking on its own. Nor will a nice-smelling lotion take away the hurt of the loss of a loved one. It won't take away the difficulty of working with a hard-nosed boss. And a good-smelling soap won't clean nor change my sinful heart. So what, so what do we do to find relief from stress? How do we thrive when the pressures surround us? Again, it's very simple. It's very simple. We follow the example of Joseph, the faithful father, and we simply trust and we simply obey. We trust and we obey. That is the ultimate stress reliever. We trust and obey. See, something has to give when the pressure is surrounding. And what has to give in our lives is the attempt of personal control of the situations that are surrounding us. We must give up control trying to do it on our own power. Our best works are filthy rags. We must follow the, the example of the faithful father and give up control and trust and obey. Last time we were together, we looked at the hymn from John H. Samus. 
when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. I'd like for us to sing that again. Will you sing with me? When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do... refrain. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Trust and obey. The last six weeks of my life has shown me more of what it means to trust someone else than the lack of my understanding. I was told by the doctors to not bear any weight on my left ankle for the last six weeks. And I was told to begin to do exercises to get that ankle mobile so that when it was time to bear weight, I could. It wasn't that I didn't need to do anything. In fact, even the first two weeks after surgery, I was, I was told to lay still and elevate it and rest and let it heal. That was doing something. It didn't feel like it all the time. It didn't feel like to those around me who needed help, which normally I am able to help. But I was told to keep my leg elevated, to let it swell and go down, and I was determined to do what the doctors told me and advised me to do. I could have, I could have tried to be tough and tried to stand up on my own power and do my own thing try to heal faster, but it seems to me that would have been more damaging. Perhaps not completely, but perhaps it would have delayed the process. See, our spiritual lives are no different. They are no different. See, we are to dwell richly in the word of God. We are to sit in it and to know it and to rest in it. And then we are to live by the power of the Holy Spirit and do what it says. We're to do what he's called us to do. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. There's no other way to peace, to rest. There's no other way to relieve your stress than to trust the Lord and obey his word. So what is the obedience to which God is calling you? In what way are you to get up and go? What way are you to get up and go? If I could, I'd like to take a moment and try to give an example of something that I think we all need to evaluate in our life as an application to our obedience to the Lord. John 13, 34 to 35, just listen to this. It says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This statement is John. It's just moments after John recording Jesus washing the disciples' feet. 
The master stooped down to clean the dirty, nasty, stinky feet of his men. Teacher was caring for the students. And he taught them how to serve one another. The first phrase in Frisco Bible Church's mission statement says, We are a redeemed community. By the grace of God, those of us who have trusted in Jesus as Savior have, have been placed into this family. We have been placed into this community by the blood of Christ. And in this community, we have a part to play. We are a part of the body of Christ. And we have the opportunity and we have the responsibility to love for one another, to care for one another, and help each other be smoothed out so that we are all more useful in sharing the good news of Jesus to the world. So my question is this. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being excellent, if you take a moment and think, how would you rate yourself in how you are taking part in the body of Christ? How are you loving and serving those that are sitting next to you in this family? See, every part has, of the body has a function, just as a physical body works best when all parts are doing what they're designed to do. I promise it's easier to walk when the foot works. That stinky, nasty, smelling foot is important to the body of Christ. You all have a part to play. Part of the fun of the journey is that we get to do it together. No matter your gift set, no matter your personality, no matter your history, no matter what, if you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb because you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are a body part that is needed to help the rest of the body learn and grow and be useful out into the world. How are you doing? There are many ways to do so, to be a part, to serve, and to love each other. Many of you have done very, very well in many ways. Many of you have personally done well for me in the last number of weeks as you've prayed for me and checked on me and fed us. Many of you are doing extremely well. And I would challenge you, those of you who would examine yourselves as doing well, I'm going to ask one. You go a step further. Check your heart. How are you doing helping those who are struggling to get in the game? How are you doing with those who are sitting on the sideline right now because they're hurt and they're struggling? They don't know what to do. How are you doing helping them get up? Are you being patient? If you're on the sidelines, what do you need to do to get up? If you need help, I would challenge you and encourage you to call one of us as staff. We would love to sit and talk with you and pray for you and figure out where you fit because you do. You may not feel like it, but you do. And we want to help you do so. Whatever the Lord has given you capacity to do, we want to help you do. If you're listening today and you have no idea what I'm talking about, perhaps the first step is that you need to actually just trust in Jesus as Savior. Trust that he is who he says he is. He is the Messiah, that he died on the cross and he rose again. And if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And if you have questions about that, there will be people here to pray with you and talk with you after the service, and we love to chat with you about that. How 
Are you going to live different when you walk out of here? Where in your life do you need to get up and do what the Lord has called you to do? Trust and obedience. Let's pray. Almighty God, it is an honor to be able to to be with your people. To hear them sing what it means to trust and obey you when every aspect of life is encouraging to my heart. And I thank you for letting us do that today. God, we thank you for Joseph. The very little that we know about him is that he obeyed you. And all the stressors of life that were surrounding him. The strange way that you decided to save the world and make him a part of that. He simply trusted and did what you asked him to do. And I ask that you would help us to be those people. That we would serve each other in such a way because of your grace and your mercy. That we would love the way you have commanded us to love. So that everybody would know that we belong to you. And they would be curious about what it means to know the God of the universe. Father, as we take this offering, I ask that you would take every penny and use it in that endeavor. To use it to equip each other, to train each other what it means to follow you closely according to your word and allow us to have the energy and and time and, and things that we need to go out into the world and help them see the love of Jesus. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. here and worked alongside this guy and uh, wanted to talk to you about two um, important things this morning. First is um, if you have your contact information in our database, you were sent an email dealing with this last week um, alerting you that we've been contacted by a bank who believes that uh, there were some checks that were likely stolen um, from our mail um, in the past few weeks. They think maybe around Thanksgiving time and that people were trying to catch them, and so we wanted to make you aware of that, and uh, some of you have already replied, so yeah, there seems to be some confusions there, and we've walked through uh, that with a few of you, but want to make you aware of that, and would encourage you to do two things, check with your bank if you had checks sent to us in the mail, check your My uh, FDC account to see if uh, they show up on, on our system, and if they've been passed through the bank. If you have any questions on that or need help kind of walking through what steps to, uh, to do with that, please contact the church office. Um, Vicki Nix or Laura Holtridge will be able to help you uh, look at that and determine if there's any problems uh, with your account and what to do and the steps to take uh, moving forward. Secondly, it is end of the year um, for us here. And, uh, December, our giving is always an important time for us uh, in December. It's either to help us get through the year and finish in the black um, for other years or to help us to, uh, to build up a little and get ready for the new year. This year, uh, it's the former. We need to, uh, to have a good December to be able to finish this year in the black. Um, it's been a good year, but it's been up and down at times, and so we look forward and pray that the Lord will provide to allow us to finish this year well and, and get us in a good position to, uh, to start the new year. So if you have the ability to, uh, to give uh, the end of the year 
26th of December. Um, we've asked that you consider Frisco Bible in that. Usually our December giving is about one and a half times our normal months. And uh, so we are praying that the Lord will provide in that as we join us. If you have any questions, Thank you, Andy. All right. Would you stand with me? It does feel good to say that. I'm getting there. Now may you and I go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. May, be, may we be like Joseph, who trusted and obeyed in stressful life situations and got to see the blessing of you, God. Seeing the Savior of the war world born so that we might have life and have it abundantly. And I pray that you would help us, God, live in such a way that we show everybody else what it means to know Almighty God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.